Good. Good morning. How fun to see people in the pews. <laughs> it's not quite like normal, but that's okay. We'll get there. So wonderful to, to be back together, kind of in a, still not a normal setting, but getting closer. So thank you all for coming. Thank you all for joining us at home. Um, this morning we do have a few announcements. So the first is um, the offering plate is in the narthex. So if you have an offering for this morning, we're not going to pass a plate, but that'll be in the entryway there if you would leave it there. Um, I think this sign-up sheet, I hope, worked well for everybody on, on Google Sheets. So we'll plan on doing the exact same thing next week. So Friday at 5.30, that will come on, and um, please take advantage of that. We're not sure yet who... Um, who all, how many we're going to have each week or anything like that. So um, we had thought initially that maybe we would have to kind of have people try to alternate weeks. But um, if we have just this many, then I think it's fine. So just use your judgment about that. If there's open seats left, sign up and join us again. So we'd love to have as many as we can. Um, I think there's announcements in the life group about, or in the bulletin. Um, about life group I think the pastor's life group I believe we're done so I would like to start this morning with a verse out of the book of John chapter 8 verse 12 then Jesus again spoke to them saying I am the light of the world he who follows me will not walk in the darkness but will have the light of life we want to be people that walk in the light we have a savior who loves us who um, lived and died for us and has given us good instruction on how we should live and we want to be people who live that way so would you pray with me heavenly father we thank you for this day for this beautiful morning where we can gather together in your house and worship you it feels good to be back together we know we're commanded to um, not forsake the gathering together and we want to be faithful about that lord we thank you for um, how you have kept us safe during this pandemic, and we pray for your ongoing safety. I would just ask that as we are worshiping you today, that first and foremost, we would glorify and honor you. Um, so that's our heart's desire today. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would please stand, we will open by singing, You're Worthy of My Praise. The men will lead and the women will do the echo.
good morning to you. Um, I just wanted to get us thinking about what we're going to talk about this morning in the message. And we are Christians, and we know that we walk in the light, the truth of God's word. And I just want to show you this video that talks about that, us with Christ and what that demands on our lives. So let's watch it together. We're just out of practice, that's all. (laughs) Okay, uh, we're way out of practice, so uh, it worked earlier, but uh, we were, what, you got it now? Okay, um, it's this really neat video about how we should live in a dark world as the light of life for Christ. So uh, just imagine that you heard that or look it up on Right Now Media later. Uh, we are. That's okay, we don't have to struggle, Peggy. Thanks for trying. We are marked. We are marked.
We thank you for the opportunity to meet back together and worship you. I pray that we bring hearts that have worshiped you all week. Father, I pray that you'll be with us as we dive into your word, that we would hear what is being taught, what you have to say to us, and that it would make a difference in our hearts and affect our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for being here. I'm glad to see you. I uh, don't have any prayer requests that were turned in, and we probably should have done a little better job of asking for some of those, but we still want to lead you in prayer, so if you would please uh, bow your heads with us. Our elders are going to lead us in prayer. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we also want to just give you praise and thanks that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. I want to thank you for this opportunity that we have to begin to try to work back into a regular schedule of worship and being together. Uh, you know that we're trying to be safe and trying to do it the right way. We just pray that you would bless our efforts in that. And then, Lord, I just pray that you would be with those who are in charge of us and the government. I do want to thank you that um, President Trump uh, declared churches necessary and uh, vital and that they could open again. And, Lord, we want to do that in a way that uh, respects the threat and yet uh, also trusts and relies in you for our safety because we know uh, that at the end of the day, you are the one that is in charge of absolutely everything. And we are placing ourselves in your hands. And, uh, Father, uh, we trust you and we also want to do what we can uh, to just keep each other safe. Lord Jesus, uh, speaking of that, we just want to thank you for our government and we pray that you would be with them, Lord Jesus. These have been extremely difficult days. Uh, we have seen lots of different kinds of information, some that turned out to be false, some that's true, and it's really hard for us to wade through all that stuff. And I just want to pray that you'd be with our president and vice president, uh, his cabinet, uh, the House of Representatives, Lord, our senators, 
I pray that you would uh, give them a oneness of heart, that they would seek to do what is right and good, especially in your sight. And we pray, Father, that you would also, as we remember this weekend, receive our thanks for all those who have given up their lives, men and women, in our armed forces uh, throughout the years to give us the freedom that we have to come together right now and to worship openly and many other freedoms that are not even church-related. I want to thank you for those in our congregation and those who are joining us today uh, on, on the video. I pray that, God, you would receive thanks for those who have uh, fought in the armed services, those who have served Lord Jesus so honorably. And, Father, we ask that you would bless them and their families. And, uh, Father, uh, we just thank you so much for them. And we remember them this weekend. We ask, Lord Jesus, that you would be with us and guide us as we open the word together. And I pray that you would teach us what it is you want us to know. And I ask it in Jesus' precious and holy name, for his honor and his glory and for his name's sake only. Amen. Well, good morning. Would you please take your copy of the Word of God and let's turn to the book of Ephesians together. Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to be looking at verses 10 through 14. Ephesians chapter 5 and, and verses 10 through 14. <clears throat> now, you, you can uh, hold your place there, uh, but I'm going to be uh, going here almost immediately uh, to 1 Samuel 15. 1 Samuel 15, because I want to read a story for you, an account out of the Word of God, and I want you to be ready to go for that. And this is what I want to talk about for a minute. There is a story in the Old Testament about a king who couldn't seem to figure out how on earth to please the Lord, how to please Yahweh. At least it looks that way, because almost from the first day that he became king in Israel, uh, he, he did things that he should not have done, and he did them out of fear of people, and instead of going with faith in God, he listened to what people said, and he got himself in all kinds of trouble, and he made bad decisions. Now, I want to read about that with you in 1 Samuel 15. We're basically going to start in verse 13. Saul, the new king of Israel, the first one they've ever had, is to go out to war, and in that war, what he is supposed to do is destroy the Amalekites. And that's, that's because they're in what the Old Testament calls the area of the ban. Everything was supposed to be destroyed in there because God had decreed it because of their sins. And so Samuel is going to meet Saul after the battle is over. Saul goes out and supposedly he does what he's supposed to do. Samuel comes to Saul then in verse 13. Samuel came to Saul and Saul said to him, Blessed are you of, of Yahweh. I have carried out the command of Yahweh. But Samuel said, well, what then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ear and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? See, those were all supposed to be gone. He shouldn't have kept anything, not man nor beast. And Saul is saying, blessed are you of the Lord. And Samuel saying, well, what's this noise I hear? Saul said, well, they, speaking of the people, have brought, brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep the oxen, to sacrifice to Yahweh, notice your God, but the rest we have utterly destroyed. So now he said, we want to do a very good thing with some of the things we kept alive that we weren't supposed to keep alive, and we're going to do a good thing with it. We're going to sacrifice those to God. 
So what he's saying is that our disobedience is justified because we're going to do something good with what we have, have uh, saved alive. And so Samuel said, it is not true, in verse 17, uh, that though you were little in your own eyes, you were made the head of the tribes of Israel, and, and the Lord, Yahweh, anointed you king over Israel. And Yahweh sent you on a mission, and he said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are exterminated. Why then did you not obey the voice of Yahweh, but rushed upon the spoil and did what was evil in the sight of the Lord? So now that Samuel is pointing this out, he says, You kept these things to sacrifice to God. You need to understand that what you did was evil. You can never do a right thing a wrong way, even spiritually. And so uh, the Lord sends him on the mission. Samuel is uh, chastising him in verse 19. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you rush upon the spoil? Verse 20, then Saul said to Samuel, I did obey the voice of the Lord. And I went on the mission on which Yahweh sent me, and I have brought back Agag, the king of Amalek. Now it's just getting worse and worse. Not only did they keep some of the best of the flocks, that they said, oh, those are going to be sacrificed to Yahweh. Now we find out of the people, he kept the king of this country that God had ordered exterminated alive. And uh, he, he has him in his presence. But then he says, but I utterly destroyed the Amalekites. No, you didn't. Verse 21, but the people took some of the spoil, the sheep and the oxen, the choicest of the things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to Yahweh your God at Gilgal, Samuel said. Has Yahweh as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? The answer is no, he does not. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. What we find out in the Old Testament is God is not so much interested in the burning flesh of animals on an altar. He is interested on the heart that brought it to the altar. For rebellion is the sin of divination. That can be translated this way. For casting off the restraints is the sin of witchcraft, and insubordination is is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of Yahweh, He has also rejected you from being the king of his people. And that's where I want to start this morning. This is one of the accounts of Saul's failure, and there were many. Doing wrong things to achieve a right action, hanging on to things you shouldn't have hung on to so that you can sacrifice them to Yahweh, in other words, is not obedience. It is witchcraft. You cannot do a wrong thing believing that you are also pleasing God at the same time. That's impossible. And if that is what we are doing, we need to wake up, this text is going to say today, to the reality of what God's light says about how we live our life and our actions. The light reveals the truth about what is really going on in a believer's life. So when the light of God's truth shines on you, what will it reveal? What kind of an attitude is there? I'm going to tell you a true story about a guy by the name of Rob Smitty. What he did was he donated one of his kidneys to a complete stranger. And this is how it happened. It was a noble and generous sacrifice. While browsing the internet, Smitty developed this interest in people needing organs. And he said uh, his motivation involved doing something that would make his children proud of him. And he donated a, a kidney. 
But his 10-year-old daughter, she had a different view of the whole thing. His 10-year-old daughter wasn't impressed at all by her dad's sacrifice. Her name was Amber, and she said, you know, my father never comes to see me. He never calls, not even on my birthday. And she said this, and I quote, I don't think he's much of a hero, she said. Tennessee records show that Smitty had not made a child support payment to Amber's mother in nine months. And the point of that is this, just as Amber is not impressed with her father's sacrifice, God is not impressed with sacrifice that takes the place of the obedience of his children. It is not pleasing to God to drop the ball on one issue while highlighting another. It is especially wrong when our motive is to seek the approval of men. Let's turn in our text, if you're not already still there, in Ephesians chapter 5, and look at verses 10 uh, through 14. Now, in a minute, we're going to remind us of where we left off in verse 9 last time, but here's what it says. Verse 10, approving what is pleasing to the Lord. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret, But all things become visible when they are exposed by the light. For everything that becomes visible is light. For this reason, it says, awake, sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Let's talk about this for a little bit, shall we? I'm sorry, I'm not used to talking to real people. I'm just used to talking to cameras. It's kind of disheveling. So I I get myself together here. Um, by the way, I love having the kids here. I love hearing them cry. Uh, that's that's uh, music to my ears. So if they're not crying enough, a little pinch might help. And <laughs> just kidding, okay? Let that be on the record. I'm just kidding. Verse 10. We learn here that we want to do those things that are approved as pleasing to the Lord. We're all Christians. We've made Jesus our Savior. And one of our goals in life is to live in such a way that we please Jesus Christ. This verse flows from verse 9 that we had last week, where we understood that the light, or if you will, the truth of the Lord, and it exists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Those three things are paramount. Here in verse 10, we continue to speak about the light in contrast to the darkness. The light is of God, the darkness is of Satan, the light is the truth, and the darkness is all about lies. And we're continuing this discussion. Jesus is the king of the kingdom of light, and Satan is the king of this present kingdom of darkness. The light is going to last. The darkness will one day come to an end, praise God. The two are diametrically opposed to each other. They have nothing in common and never will be compatible. That's why in Corinthians, Paul says, don't be unequally yoked with those uh, who are not of the faith. And that, that applies in business and not just marriages and other, other times when we get together with others to do something. As we grow, excuse me, <clears throat> as we grow in our knowledge of the light and how to walk by it, how to live by it, we become convinced that there is nothing in the kingdom of darkness that is good, righteous, or true. Nothing. Now, I want you to think about what I'm saying. There is nothing in Satan's kingdom that is good or righteous or true, especially in the eyes of the living God. And if they are in darkness still, they need to wake up. 
They need to rise up and live in the light. Now, who's he talking to? He's talking to Christians. As we, because it's written to Christians, as we grow in our knowledge of the light and how to walk by it, we become convinced that there is nothing in the kingdom of darkness that is good, righteous, or true. Therefore, the darkness is not where we as Christians ever want to live again. And if these things are darkness still, uh, which they are, and we are still trying to live in them and live in the darkness, we need to wake up. We, uh, we as believers are evaluating the things that we do, the things that we say, our motivations, where we go, uh, to find out are they in compliance with that which is goodness, that which is right, righteousness of God's kingdom, and that which is true of the light that God has given us. The word translated there as approving is, is uh, also translated trying to learn. It is a word that means to make a critical examination of something, to determine its genuineness. Something is not necessarily good just because I think I like to do it or because I declare it good. It's only good if it is of God. It is only good if he says it's good. And if he says it's darkness, no matter what I think of that, instead of judging that, what I need to do is simply say, if God calls that, that activity darkness, then I'm not going to do it. So basically, we're asking if something we do possesses the standard of goodness, righteousness, and truth. And if it doesn't pass that test, I shouldn't be doing it. If I wouldn't do it in the light, I shouldn't be doing it at all. Darkness, according to the Bible, shrouds sin in anonymity. And sinners like the anonymity of darkness. They like to do their deeds in the dark. Not, not just metaphorically, the darkness of Satan's world, but literally in the dark. Um, I've been out to the church here uh, over the past 25 years many, many times uh, in the middle of the night or after it's dark, and I have never once found a police officer parked outside. But when I uh, end up going downtown, say the hospital in the middle of the night and stuff, I have seen police cars parked by the bars. And that's because that's where they expect darkness to be. That's where they expect uh, people to get in fights and to get drunk and to do things that are going to cause disruption. And it's because it's dark and the, the people of the world want to do their stuff in the dark so they're not seen and exposed. It says in John chapter 3, verse 19, this is the judgment that light has come into the world and men loved the darkness rather than the light. Why? For their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light that his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. So last night, Noel and I were watching a documentary and this guy that is selling drugs, they meet people in the park where it's dark. And they do things in the dark because they don't want to be exposed, because their deeds are evil. We are not that. We are children of the light. It's okay for us to do what we do because there's nothing that the light's going to expose in that that would be wrong. So if I'm doing something that when the light exposes it and people see it and they call it wrong or evil because it is, then I shouldn't be doing it at all because I am a child of the light as you are children of the light. I need to say here that we're talking about believers. We're not talking about unbelievers. Unbelievers have no intention of finding and doing what is pleasing to God. 
We are not that way, however. We purposely work hard to please Jesus the way that we live. We admit sometimes we don't get it done. God is forgiving. Sometimes we excel in the big things of spirituality, but we let the little ones go by unnoticed. Jesus had something to say about that, uh, and I want to read that from Luke 16 and chapter 10. What kind of a person is Jesus looking for? And this verse has something to say about that. Luke 16, 10. Jesus said, He who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much. And he who is unrighteous in a very little thing is also unrighteous in much. We need to be faithful on both ends of the spectrum. As the children of God, we're faithful to do the little things that maybe no one's ever going to find out about. And if we're willing to do that, we'll be faithful in the big things. And if we're not faithful in those little things, we're not really that faithful in anything else. And so what we learn from that is that if you're going to give a kidney to a stranger but not give any birthday gifts to your daughter or even recognize that she's alive, then you're not faithful. You're not doing what God tells you to do. That's not what God wants. We want to approve the things that please Jesus, then do those things. And that's why we keep the speed limit. That's why we pay our taxes and we're honest about it. Uh, that's why in our business dealings, people know they're going to get a fair shake from us and we're going to do the right thing and we're not going to cheat them in any way. And we're going to be honest. We're going to give money to the poor. We're going to forgive all offenses against us. We're going to be benevolent, loving to others, kind, gentle, patient when wronged. And we're going to study the word of God as Hebrews 13, 21 reminds us. And I wanted to read that for just a second. He's talking about uh, what the Lord God is doing for us and equip you in every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. You know what? To some people, having to live in the light and living that way uh, just seems an insurmountable thing to do. You just don't think we can get it done. But I want you to notice that verse says the Holy Spirit of God, if you don't squelch him in your life, he will help you. And he'll give you the power to live that way. And, and he's never going to leave you or forsake you. He's not asking you to do anything without his help. It's all with his help. So in verses 11 to 12, we learn that we don't participate in deeds of darkness, but rather expose them without being detailed about secret sins and their disgraceful acts. Now, we've said a lot there, but let's go look at it. In the first part of verse 11, uh, he said, do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. So we learned that believers really should not be taking part in those things that are evil and are of Satan's world. Let's don't forget, we are talking to Christians here. We are the redeemed from darkness. We have been brought into the light. We are children of the light. But we have a sinful capacity still uh, able to perform in our, in our uh, unfruitful flesh that we have right now, uh, they can perform in that flesh. And so we could do the deeds we used to do. And it's not going to be until we get rid of this flesh that we'll be completely free and we don't have to worry about this flesh anymore. Right now we have to take consideration about it. The command is that we do not participate in disgraceful things that we used to do before we came to Christ. And that means that it's a possibility that we, we can 
participate in those things. So we must make a decision. Unfruitful has the idea of that which is useless and unproductive. It is an activity that generates nothing of value for anyone. These are sinful acts, the things that please Satan, not God, and God holds to be an abomination. Secondly, in verse 11, the deeds uh, of, the, of the disgraceful things are not to be participated in, but rather exposed. Um, 1 Timothy 5.20 Those who continue in sin, rebuke in the presence of all, so that all the rest may be fearful of sinning. What he's talking about is if we have a, a Christian that falls into sin, uh, that, that is going to have to be exposed. God says, beware, your sins will find you out. God will expose our sin. And then, and then the church needs to deal with it in as loving a, a manner and way that they possibly can, but it still needs to be exposed. It still needs to be dealt with. Another one on church discipline is Matthew 18 and verse 15. If your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you've won a brother. That's the exposing of the sins in brothers and sisters that we're talking about. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you, so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact is confirmed. If he refuses to listen to them, then tell it to the church. And he means the, the, the whole church of God there in their, in their locality. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile or a tax collector. In other words, let him be treated like somebody who doesn't even have a relationship with God. Now listen, there's other places that talk about this. We want to work with that person, the elders of the church. We want to try to win them back and try to get them back on the right path. Uh, that's not the job of the entire church. But it, to, to pray, yes, but it's not their job to go out and reach those flocks. That's what you have elders for. They're the ones that should do that work, according to Galatians 6.1. Now I want to bring up a verse in verse 18 of Matthew 18. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will have been loosed on heaven. Again, I say to you that if two or three on earth uh, are gathered about anything that they may ask, it will be done them by, done to them or for them by my Father who is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in their midst. <clears throat> I grew up in a Baptist church where in prayer meetings they said if, if lots of people didn't show up, which happened a lot in prayer meeting on Wednesday night, it doesn't matter. They said, well, where two or three are gathered, God is in our midst. You know what? He was in our midst if only one of us was there. But what this verse is talking about in Matthew 18 is that when the church gets together to do church discipline and it comes to that point where you hand somebody over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme or, or they're disciplined in some way, what, what the Lord is saying where, where two or three of those people that did that work to try to reconcile, now they won't, are gathered together. He wants you to know, Jesus said, the power of God is with you and he'll uphold what you do in church discipline and he will make sure that his power comes to bear in the situation. It's not just a cutesy verse about God is with us in prayer meeting. It's talking about in, in the sense of the discipline. So the deeds of disgrace are not to be participated in by us. We shun those, but if they are, they need to be exposed. The word exposed means to make, careful, uh, make a careful examination, bring something to light, to scrutinize it. We, we, don't, uh, we don't live uh, covert lives of appearing as Christians 
but doing the disgraceful sins of darkness. I am always so impressed with the lady Jane Rowe, who went her old life and supposedly came to know Christ as her Savior, worked against the uh, whole uh, abortion movement that she was used to spawn in the first place. And then here recently she gave a deathbed confession where she said it was all a show. I just did it for their money. They paid me to say the right things. I really don't care if a woman wants to do that to her child. I just don't care. It's up to them. And all that other was just a big fat show. What a disgrace. What a problem that is. It is a disgraceful thing to even speak about the sins that believers do in secret. Obviously, there are things that must be spoken about in order to expose. However, we need not discuss the details. I'm not interested in that or the methods of of the uh, despicable things. Otherwise, we defile people who are trying to do the right thing. To defile somebody means to wound their purity or to wound their holiness. And we don't want to do that. If it is disgraceful to talk about these things, how much more of a problem is it to participate in them? This all goes back to what Paul has been enjoining us to do. Live in a manner that is controlled by the light of Christ in our life, and God will help us do that. That's the good news. We want to do it. We feel weak, but God will help us. Paul has named some of the disgraceful things that he's talking about in Ephesians 5, 3 to 5. You can review those, and there's many other lists of them in the New Testament. So we don't sit around and discuss or, or uh, detail the despicable acts that are done in sin. We just want to lovingly help that person deal with that. And then finally, in verses 13 to 14, we learn that God's word exposes the truth about all that we do. So live in righteousness and please the Lord. God knows what we're doing each and every day. He knows what our thoughts are. He knows what our motives are. He knows what what work we've done. And someday the light will expose all of that. And we'll have to give an account for it. So he says, why not just rather choose to live in the light right now? So in verse 13, the truth of God shows everything for what it really is. And that's what the verse is saying. But all things become visible when they are exposed by the light, for everything that becomes visible is light. It doesn't mean that if you shine the light of God's truth on somebody's sin, that that sin somehow becomes right. What it says is when God shines his light of truth on that sin, what the issue is, is that now we can see the truth about what that sin really is. There is no hiding from the light or imparting its, I'm sorry, impairing its judgment on our actions, deeds, and motives. God is not a respecter of persons. The light scrutinizes the acts of people. It has no trouble identifying what is wrong and what is right. If what we do does not bring pleasure to God, then Paul is saying we just probably shouldn't be doing that in the first place. I think this all boils down uh, to this. And that's a question that we all need to ask ourselves. And the question is, do I really care about pleasing God? As a grade school person, as a high school person, a college person, as an adult, do I really care every day? Do I think about that? Do I really care about pleasing God with my life? Does God just get the parts that I don't want control of? Or does he have my whole life? Am I withholding nothing from him? Does Jesus get my whole life? The last phrase in verse 13 uh, is a little difficult to understand. 
Shining light on the sin exposes it for what it really is. That's the point. Often when someone is caught in sin, when the light shines, they do the right thing, like David, when he sinned with Bathsheba, and Nathan confronted him when, when David didn't really know he was confronting him. He told a story about a man who stole a poor man's sheep and slaughtered it for his friends, and David was getting madder and madder as he listened to Nathan, and he finally declared, I don't care who did that, that man deserves to die. And you remember what Nathan said, you're the man. You're the man. And the Bible tells us that David repented on the spot, and he said to God, against you and you alone, I have sinned. Dr. Harold Honer said this at this place in the text, and I quote, These unfruitful works of darkness are to be exposed in order that offending believers might produce the fruit of light, namely goodness, righteousness, and truth. Back to verse 9. And then in verse 14, this is why the Bible calls on believers to get serious about stopping their love affair with sin and start loving the light. Those who love the light do what it says, which is to please God. So if you are not here... Paul says, wake up in that verse. I want to read Romans 13, 11, uh, with that in mind. Just have to find it here. I'll get there. Romans 13, 11. Do this knowing the time that it is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. For now salvation is near than to us than when we believed. And then another one in 1 Thessalonians 5, 6 and 8, not far from our Ephesians passage. 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 6 through 8. So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. For those who sleep do their sleeping at night, and those who get drunk get drunk at night. But since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and the helmet of, and the, of the hope of salvation. You know what? You read the New Testament, especially Paul, and you kind of think that he thinks we do a lot of napping, that we're asleep all the time. And Paul says at many places, wake up, wake up. The time is running out. You need to, to, to live for God and work for God while you have a chance. You've had enough time to live in the ways of the world. He said, now, now live for Christ. And that's the plea that he gives in many places. He further says, you have a new life. Rise up and live life and do not continue in the ways of the walking spiritual dead. And that's the way Paul sees some of his folks. You're the walking spiritual dead. Wake up. Get with it. Do what's right. You know, um, I, I irritated some folks when I was in college and seminary. Um, and I'll tell you how. Uh, I was not, not one to sit around and not get assignments done. I got my syllabus the first day of the classes, and I mapped out everything I needed to do for that semester, and I got to work on it as fast as I could. In fact, I showed up at a class one time, and I, I know I've told this before, but I showed up at a class one time in college. I'm looking through the syllabus, and, and it's the first day of class. I, I get to the, the assignments, and I find out on that day I had a paper due. And I, I went to the professor, I said, uh, how on earth was I supposed to know that I had a paper due today because I don't have it done? He said, well, you will take a lower grade. It's not my fault that you didn't come get the syllabus ahead of time to see what was required of you. 
So I spent that night and most of, the, most of the darkness of the night writing that paper and turned it in. And sure enough, I lost a whole grade because of that. Maybe that's why I always got things done early. I know a test is coming. I studied. When I was in seminary, I used to have nightmares that I'd show up to class and there would be a book this thick that I was supposed to have read that day. And I know I didn't get it read. And he's asking for the assignment. I don't have it. I don't even know what it is. And then I'd wake up. Thank goodness it was all just a dream. But then I'd get up and go to work, and I'd get my stuff done, and I'd get my homework in way early, and I didn't, I didn't wait to study for finals until the last day. I did it ahead of time. So I'm outside having fun there at the seminary apartments and going places, and Noel and I are doing things, and this guy walks out and says, are you ever going to study? I said, it's done. He said, Hubbard, you make me ill. You know what, folks, if we know something's going to come due someday, that day when I get to talk to Jesus about, was I awake or asleep when I should have been doing work for you? It is worth it to get it done while you have time. You wait till the last minute, and it's too late. And if you do this, Christ will shine his approval in your life. That means fellowship, intimacy, openness, and friends, friendship. Friendship. He is not our enemy. He loves us. He cares for us. He's given us significant things to do in life, and those are worth doing, uh, especially in light of the next life. Let me uh, give you some application here. One of the first things I picked out is that we, we, as believers, should examine the things that we are doing in our life and ask, do they please God, promote goodness, righteousness, and truth? And that's up to you, and it's up to me. Number two, we do not initiate or participate in sinful deeds. Rather, we expose them. That includes friends and family members who are believers. And I know some parents say, there's no way I would ever turn my kid in for doing anything. But your kid, I'd be happy to turn in. <laughs> that is not the way it works. Well, the way it works is, we expose sin wherever it is, starting first in our own life. Thirdly, sinful deeds need to have the truth of God shown on them. So if somebody says, well, what's wrong with that? Hopefully we can take the Bible and lovingly tell them the truth and say, well, because it says right here that, that you're supposed to honor uh, the government leaders. It says that right here. So God's word is our supreme guide when it comes to what is sin and what is not. And finally this, if you know God but aren't pleasing him, Paul says to you and to me, wake up. Wake up. Get serious about your walk with Jesus Christ. Let's close in prayer, shall we? Heavenly Father, uh, there's no way that we can deny that you have certain things listed for us that you want us to do. You have certain ways you want us to live. And we know that those don't make us love you more or make you love us more. And if we fail at some, it certainly never makes you love us less. But that's no reason to take advantage of you and not do what we're supposed to do. Lord, our lives were given up on the cross of Jesus Christ so that we could become your servants and we would no longer live to ourselves but live to you. And that's our goal. 
Thank you that you've shown us that you're going to help us do that. And we want to be those people that prove what is good and what is righteous and what is true by doing the things you've told us to do. We want to thank you, Lord Jesus, that uh, your burden is light and your yoke is easy because you're pulling with us. We ask that you would help us to be those who want to please you from the depths of our heart. In your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Would you please stand and grab your hymnal, turn to hymn number 364, My Jesus, I Love Thee. Yeah. 
Well, thank you. Thank you all for coming again and for joining us online. Um, when we close in prayer here at the end of it, if you would just stay where you're at, we're going to have our ushers come and dismiss you row by row. So, and if you would just make your way on out without congregating too much in the narthex, that'd be great. So will you bow your head and pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for our message today, for um, just reminding us that we need to be children of the light, that we want to be people who are faithful in little things and big things. We want to have a character that pleases you. We would ask that you would help us as we grow in the grace and knowledge of you, and to you be the glory both now and forever. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.